<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, bats and ghouls, it's time to celebrate the spookiest time of year. I've a tale to tell I hope you'll follow. Of a legend born in Sleepy Hollow, a headless horseman rode through the night. Welcome, foolish mortals, to the W. my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 606, and I'm here once again, not only to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience when you go to the parks, but I also want to bring you some of that Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, live video broadcasts every Wednesday on Facebook, videos, blog, books, audio tours, and more. Whether it's your first time visiting the parks, if you're planning a vacation or love the history, details, secrets, and stories, there's something in the show for you because each week I'm going to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between. And if you're a new listener, thank you. Welcome. Please go back and check out some or all the past episodes for interviews, top tens, reviews, and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts and find everything else at www.radio.com. So join me this week as we celebrate the spirit of the season as we look back at the history of Halloween in the Disney parks. From Disneyland's Parade of the Pumpkins to the many iterations and locations in Walt Disney World and the vastly different celebrations in the Disney parks worldwide. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show for information, updates, your voicemails and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Okay, gang, the time is here. Let's all spread some Halloween cheer. Minnie and me want you to play and have some fun this Halloween day. <laughs> down, I'm a kid at heart. It's why I love Disney and miss Saturday morning cartoons and going to the arcade and riding my bicycle and finding the toy at the bottom of a box of cereal. And it's also why I love Halloween. And it's not the candy, believe it or not, but it's the fun of getting dressed up, trick-or-treating, the spooky and downright scary, the movies, the great pumpkin TV special, the decorations... Pumpkin spice everything, apple cider donuts, the tricks, and of course, the treats. And that's why it's also one of my favorite times of year in Walt Disney World. And now, having spent some of the Halloween season in Disney parks overseas and Disneyland, where, by the way, overseas, things are very different. We'll get to that. I could even extend that to say to the Disney parks worldwide. And to help celebrate the spirit pun intended, of the season, we're going to look at the history of Halloween in the Disney parks 
including Disneyland. Walt Disney World will even touch on the parks overseas. And joining me this week is someone who, like the holiday, looks fun, is a little spooky and scary, and is just chock full of candy corn. He is the pumpkin king himself, author, raconteur, and my friend, Mr. Jim Corcus. Hey, Lou, thank you for welcoming me back. And yes, I, I am full of uh, uh, candy corn, and I can see that it's already going to be a spooky Halloween because, uh, you know, b- before you called, I was taking a, a look in the kitchen, and there's an entirely empty bag of Halloween candy. And, and I can't understand how that happened because it's not even Halloween yet. How can there be a whole empty bag of, of Halloween uh, uh, candy? It, it's just, you know, and, and again, you know, uh, boy, what, what, a, what a trick we got this year for, for Halloween, right? We're, we're living in a, a, a horror movie, you know, who, who, whoever thought, that uh, you know, uh, Disneyland would, would ever be a, a, a ghost town, you know, um, and uh, yet that's what it is. So I, I'm hoping that with this podcast here, we can uh, sort of uh, virtually uh, celebrate Halloween at the parks and and uh, maybe bring a little Halloween uh, uh, spirit. Uh, uh, to the listeners or uh, bring back some uh, uh, memories uh, of the times. And, and, and yes, you're, you're absolutely right that Disney parks worldwide celebrate uh, Halloween. You know, Disney uh, Paris started in, in 1997 with their Halloween festival and Tokyo Disneyland in 97 as well with their happy Halloween. And, and even Hong Kong Disneyland and Shanghai Disneyland have, have Disney-themed uh, uh, Halloween celebrations, which is really spooky <laughs> because they're, they're, they're themed to, you know, the American Halloween. How America celebrates Halloween is different than the rest of the world celebrates Halloween, but, but sort, of like, sort of like a virus. Uh, the way that America celebrates Halloween has now uh, uh, sort of uh, infected you know, uh, the rest of the world, like Italy and, and the UK and all of that. And so now they're, they're getting into that idea of, uh, uh, uh trick or treating and, uh, uh, the, uh, the decorations and, and, and the costumes and that it's not just for, for kids, but that it's for adults. And so, uh, American Halloween, like the blob in, in the horror movie has, has overtaken, <laughs> the world and and even overtaken uh, uh, Disney. Well, and I think, you know, let's sort of talk about Halloween, right? Because I think what a lot of people might not realize, Jim, is that, you know, the history of Halloween itself in the U.S. is a relatively recent, you know, d- development, you know, traditionally. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, traditionally, and again, not to sort of give an overall history of Halloween, but in, in, in Europe and the ancient Celtic people, they would celebrate Samhain, which is sort of a, a New Year's celebration because it marked the end of the mm-hmm. growing season. And then over time, as the holiday evolved and the Catholic Church turned November 1st into All Saints Day or All Hallows Day, that's what's sort of mm-hmm. made October 31st All Hallows Eve or Halloween. But it wasn't always this idea of going out and tricking and or treating as it were. Um, it it 
it really sort of began in a much more mischievous kind of way where it was about sort of practical jokes and things like that. And then eventually they wanted to sort of restrain the holiday a little bit, move it more inside and make it away from being destructive tricks to giving it more towards kids and younger children. This idea of trick-or-treating from house to house really didn't come into into play really into about, you know, the, the 20s or 30s, as it were. Well, actually, yeah, it, it, it's closer to the to the late 30s, and uh, uh, it, 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 we're really not even getting into uh, costumes for for kids, real costumes for kids, uh, until the 50s and 60s. And so, uh, as you know, I, I have that uh, new book out, uh, Vault of Walt, Volume Nine, Halloween Edition, which we'll talk about. Uh, later, which covers all aspects of Halloween and uh, Disney, and so one of the things that I was excited about was to to you know do that research and you know did did, did Walt dress up you know for trick or treating? Did he take his daughters out uh, for trick or treating? And and as I started to uh, uh, research, you know, the tradition, uh, trick or treating didn't exist when Walt was a uh, uh, a young boy, and uh, again, his, his daughters, uh, you know, were, were kids in the 30s, and that wasn't part of it either until, you know, we're talking about really the late 30s, maybe 38, 39 at, at the earliest, and even then in only uh, small pockets, and, and you're right, a, a lot of it was uh, that rural thing of, yes, we're going to do tricks, we're going to uh, tip over outhouses and so much the better if somebody is actually in one and, you know, uh, disassemble a buggy and, and put it, uh, you know, on top of the roof or whatever, you know, so it'll be a, a pain the next morning for the person to try and get it back down to, uh, to the ground. And, and again, when trick-or-treating did uh, start, uh, the Halloween thing was just, hey, you know, this is uh, this is for kids, and so a, a lot of times people say, "Well, yes, Halloween at Disney." Yeah, Halloween at Disney is is big money. You know, there's food and beverage, there's merchandise, and all. But it wasn't there originally. You know, the first year Disneyland opened, they did have a Christmas celebration. The first year Walt Disney World was open, they had a, a Christmas celebration. They didn't have Halloween because it was a minor. Holiday, you know, uh, the big holidays at uh, Disneyland and Walt Disney World uh, were the Christmas holidays and Easter. And one of the reasons those were really big was that's when kids were off from school. So you want to do things, you know, to, to help generate uh, more attendance. But Halloween, that, that was really pretty much on the, the back burner, except uh, as we'll be talking about uh, uh, some one-off uh, events. So it, it really wasn't until the mid-90s that the uh, uh, the Disney theme parks uh, embraced Halloween. Well, I mean, Disney itself, you know, even before we can get to the parks, I mean, Disney itself embraced Halloween, the, the 1952 Donald Duck cartoon, Trick or Treat. I think, you know, have to give a little bit of credit where it's due, really helped to sort of promote the idea of 
trick or treating and it being fun and, and it being for for kids. Uh, the candy companies very quickly jumped on board and it very quickly became you know huge <laughs> yes. business uh, thereafter. And so it wasn't long after that 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 Disneyland starts to say, well, wait a minute, maybe we do need to acknowledge this holiday a little bit. But like you said, not in a way that it was this what we have today this month law you know like going to target where halloween starts in about march you know <laughs> now in walt disney world halloween normally starts early but disneyland not well, only did well, it- you know a, a friend of mine just wrote to me and he said it must be halloween because i'm seeing christmas decorations in the <laughs> <Right>. store <laughs> well you better get them fast because come november you're going to be buying valentine's day stuff in walgreens so oh no that that is that is truer than that than, than you suspect. And, and again, a, a lot of people don't realize that where that whole uh, concept of Tim Burton's uh, Nightmare Before Christmas came from is that Tim Burton uh, grew up in Burbank, California. And I grew up in Glendale, which is adjacent uh, to that. And, and I will tell you that in, in Glendale and Burbank, uh, the, the two seasons are brown and browner. Those are the two seasons out in, in Southern California there. And he said that in this, he loved Halloween, but he he saw that uh, a lot of retailers uh, wanted to extend the season, the selling season for Christmas, and so it started to intrude. And so by Halloween, he was starting to see Christmas decorations. So he knew that the seasons were were, were changing, but but then it just seemed to be natural uh, to him that Halloween and Christmas. Uh, were connected, and and if there was a North Pole, then there had to be some type of comparable uh, uh, city or location for for Halloween, and so that just came because of the blending uh, of the holidays there, you know. And and the only reason that uh, uh, Disney uh, finally went with uh, that Nightmare Before Christmas uh, overlay for the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland was that it wouldn't just exist for Halloween and it wouldn't just exist for Christmas, but that it could bridge, you know, uh, that uh, larger amount of time. And, and especially when you're talking about, well, you know, you've got to close the attraction for a period of time, then you've got to, to redecorate it, then you open it, and then you've got to close it for a period of time while you take down the, the, the decorations and move it to that. It makes a lot of business sense that you've got uh, a couple of months rather than just, you know, uh, a week or two weeks. Yeah, and, and let's let's sort of go back to the, the early days because, like we said, Halloween was not necessarily really acknowledged for the first few years of Disneyland being opening. It really it wasn't until... Halloween night or Halloween day in 1959 that Disneyland had a a small event called Parade of the Pumpkins and from what yeah. I was able to find th- there was just there it didn't it's not the same certainly the scale we have today but there's you know kids in in Holiday Land and they're dressed in Halloween costumes and, and, and maybe maybe you should explain to the listeners what Holiday Land is <laughs> Well, you, 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 you know, we, we know these things and we just take these things for granted. But but every now and then I, I, I see that I'll, I'll mention uh, uh, something. I, I just wrote an article about uh, 
uh, a marketing campaign uh, from the uh, 90s uh, that was to celebrate uh, Mickey's birthday called Perils of Mickey, where there's all this great merchandise and all this, and it was themed to the Floyd Gottfriedson comic strip. And people said, oh, boy, we really like this article, but who's Floyd Gottfriedson? <laughs> <Right. laughs> and I, I had to go, oh, okay, let me explain <laughs> Here and let me explain, you know, why they, you know, this and and maybe this explains why that marketing campaign didn't take off. Okay, so, so, uh, so what is what is Holiday Land? What okay, is Holiday so very, Land at Disneyland? So a very very brief description is is Holiday Land was an area near where New Orleans Square currently is in Disneyland. It was mm-hmm. a nine acre picnic ground that actually had its yes. own admission gate. I think we talked about this, Jim, when maybe when we talked about Christmas in, in Disneyland. I know we discussed it once before, but it mm-hmm. was really sort of this picnic area that had, you know, horseshoes and a baseball field and volleyball and, and, and all this. And, and, and a tent, yeah, and, and, and picnic tables and the whole bit, yeah. And, and, and so it was... It also ahead. had beer, which <laughs> it had beer there, too. So. <laughs> Well, that made it a happy Halloween for the kids. Right. So uh, the beer wasn't there when 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 the kids were there. But but yes, it, it was a it was an area on the other side of the uh, uh, train tracks. Uh, you know, and uh, and and as you pointed out, roughly about you know where New Orleans Square is now, but on the other side of New Orleans Square, and it, and it was for uh, uh, all sorts of. Uh, uh, events, so you, you uh, conventions and picnics and all that, and, and so and so you're right. They uh, in October 31st, 1959, uh, and again, the reason they had it there, a, a lot of people don't realize this, but in those days, Disneyland was closed on Monday and Tuesday. So if if Halloween fell on a Monday or a Tuesday, you're out of luck, and and if. <laughs> and if it fell on a on a weekend, you were sometimes out of luck because there were all those other events, you know, Dateline at uh, Date Night at, at Disneyland and Dixieland at Disneyland and all that. But yeah, October 31st, 1959, they had that uh, event and holiday. But again, it was for children and, and for children uh, to carve pumpkins. And then they would uh, uh, grab hold of the pumpkins and they would uh, parade down uh, Main Street in the parade of the pumpkins, and and unless you've got some other information, to, to the best of my knowledge, that is the only time they did that. And and that's what I found too. And from what I understand, as the holiday started to get more popular, and they saw that this event was popular, they talked about the idea of maybe doing something on a grander scale. But there was a lot of hesitancy in doing it for a number of reasons which on paper and as a recovering attorney make perfect sense they were worried one about guests coming in the park in costumes for safety and security you have a mask on your face you're falling down people are tripping and falling i think still to this day disney is and 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 and, and also being being mistaken for an official disney employee character which yes. is why the right which is why part of the reason why we have so many restrictions on on what adults can wear in the parks because they don't want that the same way as as an adult in costume you're technically not supposed to be you know posing for photos with other people so that there is no confusion that or, you are or, 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 or not. signing autographs which 
which again happened at early events. <laughs> and, and, and it would be hard not to because uh, some adults can come up with some pretty good looking costumes. And uh, uh, we also tend to forget that when the Disney store first opened, the Disney store sold uh, costumes, Disney costumes for adults. Mm-hmm. And, and and I remember that there were some like uh, the Maleficent costume and, and all of that that looked that looked pretty darn authentic, you know. Right. right. These these weren't the uh, these weren't the Halloween costumes that we bought as kids with the plastic masks and. Uh, um... Yeah, yeah. Those, those were the Ben Cooper costumes, right. and as I said, started in, in the fifties and sixties, and and they had the exclusive license. Uh, uh, from Disney, and uh, I, I don't know if you have any listeners who are old enough to remember those, but yeah, you you had the vinyl face mask that was held on literally with a rubber band, and then you had this sort of smock <laughs> with, with 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 something uh, uh, printed uh, uh, on it, and um, actually uh, Walt himself often approved uh, uh, some of those costumes. He uh, he was uh, 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 friendly with uh, Ben and uh, uh, Nate uh, uh, Cooper, and uh, you know, um, there's a whole story that goes involved with that. And 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 I do a chapter in the the book about that. They they later went out of business because uh, what happened is is. Kids wanted more and more elaborate costumes and cloth costumes, and, and so it became too expensive, and so you just can't do that anymore. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they're well, even today, you know, I, I I see people with cosplay and all that come up with costumes that are like, holy cow, you know. I I, I was at San Diego Con uh, several years ago at, and and they had had these. Uh, 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 women dressed up as the Disney princesses, and it was like they're a lot better than <laughs> I ever saw in in the parks yeah. in terms of you know the the makeup, in terms of the detail on the costumes and all that. But you can't have that in a Disney park. You can't you can't have that level of confusion. You can't have have people with the, the swords or you know uh, 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 cowboy guns and 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 things like that. It, it you know. Uh, it, uh, it especially this day, these days, not going to work. And, and so you're right. So restrictions had to start to get uh, uh, put in in place for that. But as time went on, um, and they started to look for opportunity, uh, Disneyland president Jack Lindquist, who I actually interviewed, and we I think we talked about this back on show two twenty eight. Mm-hmm. I should say the late Disney legend Jack Lindquist. They remember Disneyland's population for the most part is primarily local. So what they were looking to do was during some of the traditionally slower seasons, as in between major holidays, major attraction openings, they were looking for ways to make the park more attractive and to sort of refresh it and they saw Mm -hmm. what was happening with Christmas in terms of it becoming these traditional family outings to go so they noticed that other some of the smaller local attractions that had popped up around disneyland were doing things that were attracting guests everything from you know 
things for for kids and teens to some of the more scary that I think are still going on, you know, Knott's Berry Farm and some of the other places that do some scary things. So Disney decided to do something that would, in keeping with Walt's idea of a place for a family to have fun together, do something that was Halloween themed, but wanted to make sure it was always going to remain family friendly. And I think it's surprising Jim, to a lot of people, that it really wasn't to until the mid 90s, like 1995, 1996, when Mickey's Halloween Treat debuted and then came back in, in later on in, in Disney California Adventure. Like, I think we sometimes assume that the Halloween parties have been around, you know, for decades going back to the 80s, but they really didn't start, especially in Disneyland, till the mid 90s. Well, and, and, and you're absolutely right about uh, Jack Lindquist, who, again, I don't think gets uh, enough credit for, for the wonderful marketing, you know, that, that he did. And, uh, you know, I, I know we're on Disneyland, but basically Lindquist, you know, was, was dipping his toe in um, uh, Walt Disney World, you know, uh, to, to see if, if some of that Halloween stuff you know, would fly. And, and, and of course, in, in 71, there was nothing at, at uh, Walt Disney World, nothing at, at the Magic Kingdom. But in 72, on October 28th and 29th, uh, Linquist uh, promoted um, uh, the Halloween weekend uh, event at, at Walt Disney World. And what that was, was it, it wasn't a separate ticketed event. You just paid the money to go. But, but again, uh, October 28th, 29th, that's considered in those days off season. There is no such thing as off season anymore at Walt Disney World, but in those days that was considered off season. So they did a Halloween weekend. And the big deal was, um, that you could have free admission to the haunted mansion. And, and I know some listeners are going, I could go on the haunted mansion. Well, Back in 72, all of these attractions were ticketed, and the Haunted Mansion was an e-ticket. So imagine paying to go to Walt Disney World, and you can go on the Haunted Mansion for free. You can go as many times as, as you want, and, and that there are, are uh, character uh, uh, appearances, uh, not in Halloween costume, but character appearances and magic shows and... Uh, uh, they they even screen Disney cartoons. You mentioned Trick or Treat. They screen you know Legend of uh, uh, Sleepy uh, Hollow, and uh, it, it was so uh, popular uh, that it was repeated the next year in '73 on October 27th and 28th. But then it wasn't until you know '76 uh, that Walt Disney World you know. Uh, dipped its toes into Halloween again, unless you count in in 1975. They're they're trying to uh, uh, build up um, attention to Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village, which we now know as Disney Springs today. And so there was a village Halloween party where where kids were encouraged to attend in costume and go with their parents trick or treating, uh, you know, to the various. Uh, uh, stores and restaurants, and 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 the reason for getting that free candy and all that is, well, in order for the kids to get there, the parents had to bring them there, and so that was introducing the parents to the restaurants and the to the the stores there. And uh, uh, 
then Walt Disney World just did a lot of one-off events in in uh, uh, October seven twenty seventh seventy nine. They did uh, Halloween hysteria at the Magic Kingdom, but it was just a uh, a one day uh, event, and it was a, but this time it was a separated ticketed event uh, a, a, because it was part of uh, uh, what was called um, the World Series of Entertainment. So that that what happened is that every Saturday there was a different uh, uh, themed. Uh, uh, event uh, a, a different you know to try and draw people in and fortunately you know uh, uh, October 27th fell on a weekend and so they did a uh, uh, a Halloween uh, event and uh, and primarily they were uh, advertising uh, magic shows and uh, they, they would have special effects in them somehow and uh, uh, musical entertainment like Dr. Hook and, and, and the police and and and, and you know it, it's always funny to me that Disney does these special events and and emphasizes all these musical groups and and yet a decade later or so we're going who was that <laughs> uh, well, Billy, uh, Billy Ray Billy, Billy Ray Cyrus was at the was the big <laughs> guy at the opening of Splash Mountain what was that all about well that's the thing you, you know, know we, we're we're talking about you know Disney World having these events. You know, in the seventies, and eventually we'll, we'll we'll pick up to where they continue but, on. But, but, but going but again, back, to, just one ops, yeah, one right. ops. Right, but mm-hmm. it's not until the nineties that that Disneyland still has it. You know, before we get to Disney World to sort of finish up with Disneyland, they're not. It, it's it this this one off nineteen ninety five, and then eventually it, they did it again the following year. This Mickey's Halloween treat was. Like you said, it, it was not a hard-ticketed event, but it had merchandise and trick-or-treat locations and the kid costume cavalcades and things like that. And they had the – most of the attractions were open for the guests. But they had it again in 96, but then they discontinued it because it actually didn't do very well. There was actually right. low attendance. And it wasn't for until nine years later – that the party came back in a slightly different format in 2005 in Disney California Adventure. And so it was once again the Mickey's Halloween party, and then in 2006 it became Halloween Time, which was both at Disneyland and DCA. And then it was the following year it became Mickey's Halloween Party, and that's when it really started to get much more popular. I think uh, it took a little bit of time for it to catch on again to keep confusing guests they now change the name again to mickey's mickey's trick-or-treat party because they didn't <laughs> yes. want confusion with the not-so-scary halloween party in walt disney world and then in 2010 they move it over to disneyland because of construction going on at dca they changed the name again to mickey's halloween party but now they include things like the character cavalcade. There's a Halloween scream, fireworks spectacular, and what they did was was making the fireworks only during the Halloween party force guests to say, "Look, if you want to see these special Halloween fireworks, you do have to go to the Halloween parties. That you know, the paid ticketed events, mm-hmm. the Halloween parties themselves." Absolutely, and, and and again, you you didn't even get to the moving over to Disney California Adventure for the Oogie Boogie Bash. So 
So, you know, right, so it, it, it's, continu- it's continually evolving. Right, and, and it's bounced back and forth. So the Halloween party went until 2018. In 2019, it became the Oogie Boogie Bash over at Disney California Adventure, really capitalizing, as you said before, you know, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas is, it's interesting because it's very, very popular in California. And we see in terms of the overlay for Haunted Mansion and the Oogie Boogie Bash, and they've got this Villains Grove, and they do this beautiful overlay of World of Color called Villainous. Um, which is actually, it's it, if you really pay attention to the story, it's about this little girl named Shelley Marie, who was created by Disney animator Eric Goldberg as a tribute to Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein. And there's also the Guardians of the Galaxy overlay and, and the Descendants and, and, and party. And little Shelley Marie has to decide whether to be a princess or a villain for, for her Halloween costume. And so goes on this uh, journey and, and learns that there's a little bit of villain in all of us there. So I, I think that's a great overlay. And I even I look, and I don't know if you've been there, but I have, I've been fortunate to be there during Halloween. Uh, Cars Land does a great overlay of Halloween, of the cars and the attractions and the entertainment. Uh, if you look outside very carefully, there's a uh, there's a spider car, a car that looks like it's it's sprouted legs, and it was actually made from parts from Mister Toad's Wild Ride. May you rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, <laughs> I know I still miss that attraction here. Um, there's also um, uh, this this car witch um, named Lizzie outside of of Radiator Springs too. Uh, and we never even talked about the Halloween and, tree. And, 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 and Miss Lizzie has a special coolant where she's trying to bring cars back to life. So there's that zombie car there that, <laughs> that starts to almost start up and, 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 and then doesn't. And, and again, what I like about that, you know, because, uh, you know, we talk about Disney theming. Sometimes it, it's never consistent, but... In, in uh, Cars Land, it it, re- it really is because um, it it's how cars would celebrate Halloween. So so you're not having you know the typical uh, ghosts and bats and, and and all of that. You know you, you have Sarge with with gas cans that look like pumpkins. You know uh, and uh, uh, Fillmore's uh, Jack Oil lanterns. You know. Uh, so, and again, the cars are even in, in, in costumes, right? Uh, uh, Mater is dressed up like a vampire and Lightning McQueen is dressed as a, uh, a superhero with, with a, a flying cape, you know, it, it really be uh, re- really well done. I, I, I think a cars land is, is a terrific addition to Disney parks. I think it's. Very well done for kids of all ages, uh, you know, uh, for, from 8 to 80. And when they did the overlay for Halloween, I thought they kept the, the foundational story, the foundational theme, everything that, uh, that, that made it work, and they really plussed it, you know? Uh, and uh, just, a, just a wonderful, wonderful... Uh, uh, a part of Halloween, and again, something that unfortunately this year uh, uh, we're going to miss out on. 
Well, hopefully when you go back next year, as long as we're talking about, you know, again, brilliant design and storytelling and decor, uh, we we have to talk about the Halloween tree. So if you've ever been to Disneyland in, in Frontierland, mm-hmm. there's a beautiful oak tree out in front of the Golden Horseshoe Saloon in Frontierland. And every Halloween mm-hmm. going back to 2007, they do a Halloween overlay specifically of this tree And it really is because of, and I think really dedicated to, one of America's most prolific writers who was not from the Disney world, but from the Ray Bradbury world. Now, Ray Bradbury, obviously, (laughs) he's written Fahrenheit 451, but he actually has a lot of connections to the, the Disney company. And part of his admitted love for Halloween began after watching the 1929 Silly Symphony short, The Skeleton Dance. And in the mid-60s, Ray Bradbury and Walt Disney met. They became friends. They collaborated on things like Disneyland and some of the resorts. Um, he, We all, all know about Ray Bradbury's influence on Spaceship Earth. He also wrote screenplays for two Disney films, one which I haven't seen in years. I have to watch with my kids. Something Wicked This Way Comes in 83 and the wonderful ice cream suit in 1999 which i have never heard of until this very moment but in 1972 to celebrate his personal love for halloween he wrote a story called the halloween tree which is a novel that talks about these group of trick-or-treaters that go on an adventure to learn about the origins of halloween while they're looking for their friend and Bradbury always wanted this idea of uh, having a Halloween tree at Disneyland. So on All Hallows Eve in 2007, the 35th anniversary of the novel, that Frontierland Oak was given a makeover with orange lights and hand-painted jack-o'-lanterns hanging from from the branches. And they talked about how, you know, Tony Baxter, Kim Irvine, and some of these looked at this and said, you know, this is something that we want to do really as uh, as a tribute to, Bray, uh, to Ray Bradbury. And they continue to do this. And actually, they've extended. Now you can actually see a Halloween tree, not just in Disneyland, but on the Disney Cruise Line ships as well in the Grand Atriums during the Halloween cruises. And And as we always say, there's always more to the story. So what you've said is, Absolutely correct. Let let me give you a a, a little you and the listeners a little bit of uh, more insight because uh, again I grew up out in California so I I was uh, uh, fortunate enough to actually meet uh, uh, Ray Bradbury two, two or three times and hear him speak many more times and I had an opportunity to to talk with Tim O'Day Disney Authority uh, Tim O'Day uh, first off. Um, in October 66, you mentioned uh, uh, the debut of It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, which we all, you know, accept as, you know, one, one of the great Charlie Brown uh, uh, holiday specials, you know, after uh, uh, the Christmas uh, special. But uh, Bradbury and his daughter sat down and watched it together, and none of them liked it. <laughs> they were really disappointed that the Great Pumpkin didn't show up. They felt it wasn't a proper Halloween film at all. It didn't cover Halloween. And so Bradbury complained to his friend, who is animator and director uh, uh, Chuck Jones, who a lot of people remember from Warner Brothers and 
you know, Pepe Le Pew, Bugs Bunny, uh, Roadrunner and Coyote, all of that. And at the time, Jones was working uh, at uh, MGM, doing a lot of uh, uh, specials like Ricky Ticky Tavi and, you know, uh, those types of things. And so Bradbury was complaining, and Jones says, well, why don't you do something about it? And, and Bradbury came in and showed Jones an oil painting of a Halloween tree. Now, a lot of people don't realize that Bradbury had some artistic background. He had painted the Halloween tree, and Jones arranged for MGM to hire Bradbury to write a half-hour animated special called The Halloween Tree about the history of Halloween. But what happened is, as this was going on, MGM closed its animation department. And so the script was never done, and Bradbury then adapted it into the book. Uh, now, we, we flash forward uh, uh, years later, and uh, at Disneyland, o- over at the uh, uh, Storyteller uh, Cafe at Disney's Grand Californian Hotel, uh, uh, Tim O'Day and uh, Bradbury are, are having uh, lunch. And uh, they were joined by um, uh, the head of Disney Parks Public Relations, uh, Duncan Wardle. And uh, O'Day was completely unaware of Bradbury's book, Halloween Tree. And Bradbury was joking around that he had a new book coming out. And what it was was the anniversary reprint. And so as they were talking about this and all that, uh, Wardle and O'Day came up with the idea that why don't we put a Halloween tree in town square? You know, it would be 60 feet tall, a gnarly old tree, uh, you know, just like the Christmas tree, you know, uh, it would be traditionally in that location and would have hundreds, hundreds of uh, uh, illuminated uh, jack-o'-lanterns. And, and Bradbury was just, you know, really, really excited. He, he, he's in his 80s now, and he's really excited about this idea. And so... They try to push this with Disney, but Disney already had plans in place uh, to put the giant Mickey pumpkin in town square. And so uh, O'Day told uh, Baxter uh, about the release of the book and uh, Kim Irvine and got them on board. And and that's what you have to do when you're at Imagineering is you've got to uh, find a, uh, a champion for that uh, project. And so they pushed that through that instead of building, you know, uh, the investment, it could be cost effective to just use the existing oak tree, uh, you know, in Frontierland. So on October 31st, 2007, 87-year-old wheelchair-bound uh, Ray Bradbury was there uh, at the, uh, the the dedication. They actually had a, a special uh, a dinner for him in Club 33, and he regaled them with, with stories of, of uh, knowing Walt and his work at, at Disney and all that and, and how he was, you know, just so excited, you know, that he would become a permanent part of uh, the spirit of Disneyland. And he was the one who lit up the uh, tree, they, they gave him a, a jack-o'-lantern, and he, he uh, pushed the stem like it was a, a switch. And uh, the tree uh, 
uh, lit up. And, and actually that first year, it was Baxter and, and uh, Kim Irvine and uh, one or two other people. And what they did is they magic markered uh, all the, uh, the pumpkins, again, cost-effective, uh, that first year, you know, to get it up there. And then when it became a huge, huge hit, uh, you know, it, it was turned over to, you know, park decoration and all that. And, and that's where they do the, the painted ones now and the, the, the whole bit. And, and, and you're right. Uh, it was so popular that it carried over uh, to the uh, cruise line, to all four ships. But, but again, it can't be exactly Ray Bradbury's Halloween tree because there's only one Halloween tree. And, and each branch is supposed to represent... So um, uh, the different aspects of Halloween from around the world that came, you know, together to create Halloween, but they wanted something similar. And of course, the problem is, is they've got to do this in two hours, you know, from when a guest leaves the ship, you know, to when the next group comes back on. And and so they've got this uh, interior metal infrastructure that's very much like an erector set. And then they add branches and they add a trunk-like covering. And they came up with a whole other, uh, Imagineering came up with this whole other story that it's the Pumpkin King, who's the caretaker of the stories and memories of Halloween. And what he has happened is he's gotten tired after all of these years trying to, you know, keep the history of Halloween alive, that he reaches into his head and he pulls out four pumpkin seeds, each, each one representing a different aspect of his personality, and he plants those, and they bloom once a year in each atrium uh, on, the, uh, on the, the uh, ships there, and they're supposed to be there um, to uh, 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 help people understand the real and true spirit uh, of uh, Halloween. So the Disney dr- Dream has Grimm. The Disney Fantasy has Muckle Bones. The Disney Wonder has Bog. And the Disney Magic has Reap. And um, to me, it, it's just amazing that, that in two hours, you know, Disney Holiday Services can come on to a ship, put up that Halloween tree, and then all of the other... Halloween decorations, and and I've I've been on ten cruises, but I've never been on a cruise at at Halloween, and uh, I'd like to just to see you know uh, how that's handled because the pictures and videos that I I see I, I guess are just a pale reflection, but boy when, when Disney does something uh, uh, right they they really do it right. Yeah, if you think uh, converting Magic Kingdom over to Christmas is amazing and how quickly they do it, watch them do the cruise line for for Halloween. Uh, before, you know, Jim, before we leave Disneyland and make our way over to Walt Disney World, we would be remiss if we did not at least touch on, not go too far deep down the rabbit hole of the Haunted Mansion holiday. Um, and and mm-hmm. this, you know, look, going back to even the early days and early ideas for Disneyland. You know, they they always had this idea. Harper Goff's earliest designs for Main Street had this idea for a haunted house that would be there. So having the the spooky always being part of Disneyland was was in its blood from the beginnings. But 
as you know, the, the mansion obviously is always such an incredibly popular attraction, but for a number of years, Disneyland had been doing holiday overlays for Small World, the Country Bear Christmas special. So it made sense for them to think about doing the same for the mansion. But some of the ideas that they that they played around with was Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol overlay. Or yeah, creating- because again, you, you've got those three ghosts. And again, it, it's Christmas, so you can extend from Halloween through Christmas. Right, and, and it, so it makes perfect sense. And they even thought about maybe creating this separate story not based on any other IP that would star Santa Claus, but they figured neither one of those really fit in the idea of the Haunted Mansion. And so they have the Nightmare Before Christmas. And if you think about it, well, and, 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 and and don't forget Imagineer Chris Merritt. You know, a, a lot of times we laud the original uh, Imagineers and, and, and for good reason. But there's a lot of uh, modern Imagineers, like, like Kim Irvine, you know, who have added to the park and kept the spirit of, of, of the original attraction, kept the, the, uh, the spirit of, of, of what it should be. And, and Chris Merritt is certainly uh, uh, one of those, and he pitched an idea of, on Nightmare where visitors would enter through a tree portal to Halloween Town, because if you remember... In the uh, in the movie, there were different trees, and they had an image for Christmas and an image for Easter and July Fourth. You'd, you'd enter through the tree portal to Halloween Town. You would board a coffin sleigh and take a trip through the land of Halloween. You'd go through the professor's laboratory. You'd go through Oogie Boogie's lair. Uh, you'd go through the graveyard where where Jack finally gets uh, uh, gets gets the uh, the girl. You know, but again, uh, they were taking a look at this, and it's like, that's a lot of money there, <laughs> you, you, you know, and, and it's only for a short period of time. You know, what are we, can we integrate Nightmare Before Christmas, but, you know, uh, without losing the bank here, you know? Well, and keep in mind, too, you know, when the film first debuted in 1993, it was it was a moderate hit. It was not anything. It took a little bit of time that it really started to gain this incredible cult following, and I guess it sort of made sense. And, 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 it, and it was not a Disney film. It was a Touchstone film, and they called it Tim Burton's mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas to to try and set it apart uh, from Disney as well as the fact that they're doing this because uh, at this time uh, Burton had, had done five financially successful films in a row, you know, Batman, Beetlejuice, Pee-wee's, you know, adventure, big adventure, all of that. And so, you know, it's like, well, we'll just do this and this will just, you know, fall off. Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas is one of two films that retroactively are now official Disney films. The only other film that started out as a touchstone film and was released as that, and then it was so popular it became a Disney film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Mm. So both of those films were released as touchstone films to distance them from Disney and the Disney brand. But, but you're right. People, people just discovered them, and there was just something in there 
that uh, triggered emotional buttons, you know, that, my gosh, this is what we want. Well, and it also fits in, you know, the, the film and the mansion are both, you know, macabre yet funny, so you're able to sort of blend the two and, and create this storyline having Jack, you know, spreading joy to all of the, the happy haunts that live inside the mansion. And I'll tell you, Jim, like, as, as a personal aside, I love Halloween. Like, I love Halloween and I love Christmas and I like Tim Burton. Like, I love Beetlejuice. The original Batman is my mm-hmm. Batman and I'm, I'm a big peewee guy. And for some reason, I've never been able to sort of emotionally wrap myself around Nightmare Before Christmas. So the first time that I went to Disneyland during the holidays, I was concerned that I wasn't going to enjoy it. But there's something about that overlay that I just absolutely love. Um, and again, it opened back in, in 2001 um, that I absolutely love. And, you know, people talk all the time about, you know, why do we not have this in Disney World? And I think it's just I think there's I think there's a variety of reasons. One, I think the the crowd, the visitors in Disneyland is more local. I think people in Walt Disney World who remember it takes two months to do this conversion. If they come to Walt Disney World and the and Haunted Mansion, this classic, you know, cornerstone attraction is closed. It's going to disappoint potentially a lot of people. And I don't necessarily know that there's the same affinity for Nightmare here as there is over there. And I and I, and look, I still even now hear people say, well, the Haunted Mansion, it's too long, right? Because it's basically almost four months plus two months of time to convert it. So in Disneyland, the classic Haunted Mansion is only available really about half the year, but Haunted Mansion, the Nightmare Overlay, is still incredibly, incredibly popular there. Well, and, and again, the, the official Disney uh, explanation is that you're right. The, the audience is uh, uh, different at Disneyland. It, it's local. It's annual pass holders. They're continually familiar with the attraction. They would always have an opportunity to come back and see the original attraction. But by having something uh, out of the ordinary, something different, that, you know, generates greater attendance. People would come back more frequently to see that. At Walt Disney World, the audience is more international. Uh, People uh, save up three to five years to come to Walt Disney World. They would be disappointed if they came and the attraction was closed, or it wasn't the traditional attraction that they had read about and, and seen. And all that being said, at one point, they were going to do the overlay at Walt Disney World, and then at the last moment, chickened out, and everything that was being built for Walt Disney World got shipped to Tokyo Disneyland, and Tokyo Disneyland used it. Um, and one of the, the things, and again, the storyline with the Haunted Mansion overlay is this takes place after the film. And, and Jack has discovered, you know, all of these happy haunts, uh, but they know nothing about Christmas, and so he's going to bring Christmas to them, and, and those presents that we saw, you know, uh, in the film. And what's interesting is all of those audio animatronics 
Those were the first ones not built by Disney. Those were the ones built by Garner Holt Productions. And Garner Holt is a uh, superstar, real love of uh, uh, Disney. You know, they actually gave him all, all of the spare parts and everything uh, they had, you know, and so he does audio animatronics now, not just for Disney, but for other places, but he does it for, for Disney. And what a lot of guests don't realize, uh, I, I was talking to his creative director, is that a lot of the stuff you see in the overlay isn't shipped in. It's just hiding in little dark spaces around corners and, and, and things. That, that if you turned on the lights, you know, in the attraction, you'd see where these thing, things are. It's something that is new that is brought in each year, of course, is the gingerbread house uh, on the table of the grand ballroom, you know, where it takes roughly 150 pounds of gingerbread and a dozen bakers uh, working at the uh, central bakery just right across the street, you know, to make it. And, and it's different each year. And um, I, I did get an opportunity to experience the overlay once. And, and like you, it was like, this really makes sense. This works. This is, this is good. I, I, I thought that this was going to be, you know, um, hokey, <laughs> but it wasn't. And I've seen, and I've seen the overlay in Tokyo and we'll, we'll get to the overseas parks. I've seen the overlay in Tokyo and it works there too. But I will tell you as a, as a haunted mansion, quote unquote, purist, I don't want to see nightmare come to Walt Disney World and I'd like like to know from you the listener I'll post this question in the clubhouse group on Facebook are you a fan of the Haunted Mansion holiday overlay and would you like to see it maybe come to Walt Disney World or just have it be in, in Disneyland and I'll post that question you can leave your comments there or, or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 and let me know what you think uh, but let's move over Jim let's move over to Walt Disney World Walt and Disney World. where the origins of, of Halloween actually start much earlier, surprisingly, than Disneyland. But let's keep in mind when, when Walt Disney World opens in the 70s, um, you know, let's think sort of walking into Magic Kingdom. And we've talked about this on on past shows too. forgive me that I don't remember the number. We talked about the stories of, of Main Street. You know, when you walk into Main Street, USA, it's decorated. It's already decorated for a holiday, right? It's July Fourth, which is why right. there's a parade every day. It's why there's fireworks every night. And Disney's like, well, look, we, it's going to be confusing if we try and celebrate two different holidays here at the same time and at the same place. But what they did decide to do, and, and as you mentioned earlier, was they did want to have some Halloween events in the '70s taking place elsewhere at the resort and the first place was at the lake buena vista shopping village which opened in 1975 um due in part to help encourage florida locals to to come out and there was shops and restaurants and grocery stores we've talked a lot about there but one thing they did do was have the village halloween party where some of these local kids as well as kids who just happened to be there on vacation could come by and be in costume and trick or treat from store to store. And they had a costume parade and pumpkin carving and character appearances there as well. And I think you mentioned too in the resorts, 
They also had a resort Halloween party at the Contemporary in October of 1976 in the old uh, ballroom of the Americas. So they didn't necessarily have something in the parks, but they definitely wanted to take advantage and and leverage the Halloween holiday elsewhere throughout the resort. Because remember, this was the vacation kingdom of the world, It unlike Disneyland, where, you know, it's mostly confined to obviously Disneyland, then DCA, and then downtown Disney. Walt Disney World really wanted you to enjoy more than just Magic Kingdom. Absolutely. It's a vacation destination. And uh, you're absolutely right. They they wanted to include things, so uh, you don't want to have kids complaining, oh, why are we going to Walt Disney World? I'm going to miss going out trick-or-treating with my friends. Well, you can trick-or-treat at Walt Disney World. Um, you know, so that's all very exciting, but we also have to realize that, uh, you know, the Disney company is not necessarily altruistic all the time. A lot of things are driven by business. And so, uh, also putting in terms of a larger context, you know, Halloween was really not, uh, an adult uh, celebration until fairly recently, you know, that that's one of the reasons, you know, Hocus Pocus didn't do well as a film originally, but then later became a cult film because when Hocus Pocus came out, Halloween was just not that big a deal. It, it was for, it was for kids primarily, but Disney is taking a look from a business standpoint and, and they see that Mickey's very first Merry Christmas, uh, uh, party in 1983, you know, one night only, and then it expands to two nights and three, and then multiple weeks. Hey, th- th- this is a good thing. And then they take a look over across the street at Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios Hollywood, starting in 91, uh, you know, for three nights, and now that becomes, you know, multiple weeks. Well, but, but you so, did say, but we did say earlier too. I mean, Disney didn't wait and and respond to what was going elsewhere. I mean, these first official Halloween events start with that Halloween weekend back in '72, and then they have the Saturday Night World Halloween Party. So it's going on throughout the '70s. Um, you know, the, but, but 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 sporadically, right. and it doesn't connect, and and it doesn't repeat. You know, and and so taking a look at Mickey's Very Merry, taking a look at Halloween Halloween Horror Nights at Universal, how can we come up with an alternative? And so let's do a family-friendly Halloween, you know, and this will generate, you know, uh, a lot of revenue. Well, they they also saw, uh, too, they also saw, too, how popular, you know, Flower and Garden was and the holidays, you know, somehow some of these other festivals in in other parts of the park do in terms of not only generating revenue, but obviously attracting more guests, you know, to or back to the parks. And and, and again, in a business sense, it's also uh, creating new food and beverage options. It's uh, creating new limited merchandise. Uh, you know, but even then, uh, Disney's hesitant. So the first Mickey's not so scary Halloween party as a ticketed event, 
That's October 31st, 1995, but it's one night only. For More importantly, $16. Jim, <laughs> that's the important part. It was $16.95. And, and, and look, to your point, too, just to sort of touch on it again, you know, while they did see what was going on at Universal with Halloween Horror Nights, Disney obviously had to make theirs, much like in California, where some of the other events are more geared towards, you know, frights and fears and scares. Disney really had to make theirs continue to be something that was going to be family friendly first. Mm-hmm. And 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 especially kid friendly because Halloween is a is a time that can uh, scare uh, children. You know, you you've got the darkness, you've got uh, you know uh, the monsters. You know how how do you you know um, sanitize that at at, at, uh, at Disneyland? You'll notice that the colors are are the warm colors of of uh, orange and, and, and red. But when you go to the Oogie Boogie uh, Bash at Disney California Adventure, they're, they're trying to appeal to uh, an older demographic, maybe a teen, maybe an adult. So you're getting these blues and, and purples and, and, and deep magentas so that even subconsciously, you know, you're being told there's something here that's not, you know. And... Uh, you know, and, and now when you're dealing with jack-o'-lanterns, you want the jack-o'-lanterns smiling. You don't want evil jack-o'-lanterns. You know, um, you know what I think was inter- want- sorry. What I think was Go interesting ahead. too. You know, you mentioned how that 1995 Halloween party was just one night. If you start to look at it as it trends over the years, so 97 it becomes two nights, 99 it becomes three nights. 2001, mm-hmm. an unbelievable five nights. 2003, yeah. who, who, it's... Who would come five <laughs> right. nights? There's enough people to come five nights. But two yeah. years later, it's 10. Two years, it's 15. In 2013, it's 23 nights, which was four more nights than the ho- than the Christmas party. So right. it, it very relatively quickly eclipsed what was... The incre- still remains to be the incredibly popular Christmas party. I, absolutely, and, and and again, one of the things that Disney um, is, is very clever about is uh, it makes it, it makes Halloween feel safer, and it, and there's that sense of humor, you know, that that sort of a, a of a wink, you know, that that all of it. You know, a lot of people don't realize that the uh, the only Disney film where the villain wins, uh, animated film where Disney where the villain wins is Legend of Sleepy Hollow, <laughs> and the, and the Headless Horseman, and 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 again, people, listeners can now scratch their heads and wait, wait, <laughs> right, we're all no, thinking there's, right. There's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's got to be 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 another one. I, and 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 I w- I will admit that you might include um, the Chicken Little short from the 1940s, <laughs> where Foxy Loxy wins. He eats all of the animals off 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 stage there. But uh, generally, the the only big Disney animated film where um, uh, a villain wins is Legend of Sleepy Hollow, hmm. and 
but again, as I take a look at Legend of Sleepy Hollow, all of those are unpleasant people, you know? Ichabod Crane is unpleasant. He's not in love with Katrina Van Tassel. He's in love with her father's fortune. And, and he's a glutton. And, you know, he, he, there's a lot of things about him that he's a coward. He's, there's a lot of things. Katrina Van Tassel is manipulating. She doesn't care for Ichabod. She's manipulating, you know, so for her vanity's sake. Ron Bones, you know, uh, uh, can think hard and still come up with the wrong answer, you know. Uh, and even the, even the supporting players are not, you know, uh, uh, but I will say that one thing about Disney, Disney added to the legend of the headless horseman, which we see in the parks and especially over at Walt Disney world is that, um, uh, before the Disney version, the headless horseman always carried a pumpkin. It was Disney that made it a jack-o'-lantern and a fiery jack-o'-lantern. Hmm. Uh, and if you watch, uh, the movie, um, Ichabod looks down the neck of, of the headless horseman and all he sees is just darkness. So there's the, the implication that maybe this is not Brom bones. This really is a supernatural entity, uh, that he's, um, uh, encountering, but, uh, bring, swinging this back, uh, uh, from the tangent, from the side road here, swinging this back to the parks, uh, Headless Horseman is, is pretty prominent uh, at uh, Disney Halloween's at Walt Disney World. Which I love, and we'll we'll go from Magic Kingdom, we'll talk about some things outside the parks a, a little bit too, but the other thing that Disney does, you know, speaking of tying it into other movies and, and shorts and properties is, is the integration of some of that very successfully into Halloween, specifically the Halloween party. And I think over the last few few years, again, talking about films like Nightmare that maybe initially were not incredible successes, but achieve this incredible pop culture status years later, 1993's Hocus Pocus is very much the same type of thing because now in the the Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party, we, we have this hocus pocus villain spectacular, which again is this spectacular. Spe- it, it's, it's this wonderful, fun, funny, somewhat chilling, but inc- like wonderful musical show presented uh, um, during the party, which I think has breathed much more newer life into that film like now there's a lot of hocus pocus merchandise there's hocus pocus themed food and it's interesting how one has sort of fed the other because simply because of i think in large part the halloween party itself well they're even talking about a reboot of the film uh, rumor has i believe that they're actually filming something now for 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 TV or for Disney Plus or or ABC um with the Sanderson sisters for how like some sort of virtual Halloween in this COVID-19 world for Halloween this year too. I I I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. And um it it, it really is 
a, a scary film when, when you take a, a look at it. You, you've got these these three women who are literally uh, trying to steal the souls of uh, of uh, uh, children, and and they even had, the film starts with them actually stealing the soul of a little girl. You know, my kids were terrified um, of the film. They still won't. They, I still can't get them to watch it. <laughs> you know, and 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 again, that that is the first uh, uh, film that has a, a supporting role by actor uh, uh, Doug Jones, who plays uh, Billy the Zombie. You know, and and he later went on to do all of those. Uh, uh, I, I think he's on Star Trek Discovery now, but he he did all those uh, great characters of. Uh, uh, like that in, in amphibian and um, the shape of water, and he he was the Silver Surfer in the Fantastic Four movie, and and, and all of this, you know, the very very talented uh, physical mm-hmm. uh, actor. But but this was his his very first uh, 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 film where he had a large uh, uh, role, you know, and and he thought that this was going to be a huge success, and all, and and it wasn't. You know, uh, people were just not in that Halloween mood at, at that particular point. And, and part of the reason, of course, is that the film um, uh, was released during the summer because da, 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 <laughs> Disney didn't want to conflict with that same year at Halloween was being released, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, release a Halloween movie during during summer. That makes a lot of sense. That that ought, that ought to pack. That ought to put uh, butts in seats. Yeah, that'll do it. Well, look for both <laughs> movies. They they were right that they were going to be successes. It just took a little while for it for them to attain for to, to that, find that them. cult. Yeah. yeah, for that sort of cult following. Uh, and look, well, it, 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 the same thing for It's a Wonderful Life and Wizard of Oz. You know. Uh, sometimes it takes a, a while for people to catch up with, with what's being done there. And, you know, look, as long let's let's sort of continue with that thread and, and obviously having to mention the Boo to You parade and, and the Legend of Sleepy Hollow and the Headless Horseman made me think of that connection. That, too, is a relatively newer thing. There was Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween parade was the parade in, in 1999 and then it eventually became the boo to you parade. It was updated in 2014, updated again in uh, 2019, but that pre parade ride, it used to be a gallop. Now more of, it's a little bit more of a, of a slower trot of uh, the, mm-hmm. um, the headless horseman from Ichabod and Mr. Toad set to flight of the Valkyries is, is one of my favorite parts of I think the parade alone is worth the price of admission to not so scary Halloween. Oh yes, yes, yes. I've a tale to tell I hope you'll follow of a legend born in Sleepy Hollow. A headless horseman rode through the night on a great black steed with a pumpkin bright. It's said he's tired of his flaming top, so he's looking for a head to swamp. Beware, he may soon be in sight. The Headless Horseman rides tonight. (laughs) 
the parade includes a number of different floats. There's Mickey and Minnie. There's the um, the Pirates floats, which is sort of this blending of both Peter Pan and Pirates of the Caribbean in this medley of Pirates Life and Yo-Ho. Um, it, it was actually, originally it was like two different floats. It was a pirate ship and then there was a, a TikTok crocodile mini float that had Captain Jack and Barbosa, and then they added a new float, I think, in 2018 or so. The Haunted Mansion is, um, is is possibly my favorite part because the zombie grave diggers dancing with those shovels and then scraping the pavement, creating those sparks is just... It's so much fun to watch. It is only possibly a very close second. And I'm not a big parade guy, Jim, but it's a close second to... The march of the of the wooden soldiers in the Christmas day in the Christmas parade, but the hitchhiking ghosts and the haunted mansion and, section. And, 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 and you know that happened by accident, right? That, that yeah, there were grave diggers and, and and they were carrying shovels, but the show director one year saw that you know as as they were leaving, one of the grave diggers was just so tired he was dragging his <laughs> shovel behind him. And it was scraping and creating sparks, you know, uh, on on the pavement there. And, and she goes, "I think I can use that." <laughs> <laughs> but, but but you're right it, it, because it's such it, it's a natural effect, and it really is scary when you see those sparks come off uh, of the pavement there, and and especially when it's almost like synchronized swimming, and they're doing this. Boom, 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 you know? Yeah, incredibly well orchestrated. And then it, it's followed up by the Halloween hoedown featuring Clarabelle Clow and Clarabelle, Clarabelle Cow, <laughs> say that three times fast, yes. and Clara Cluck. And Jim, I never sing on the show, but I'm so tempted to cluck the way she sings to Ghost Riders in the Sky. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just. <laughs> And I do when I'm at. If you happen to see me at the parade next year, I will be buck, 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 buck. I'll be doing that along with Clarabelle because I think it's just so much fun. Um, it's followed by mm-hmm. the Tomorrowland float, which was introduced in 2019. The trick or treat celebrating the candy and the Goofy's co- Candy Company truck, um, which now is is also I think it's Sugar Rush now with Vanellope taking mm-hmm. place aboard the, the candy machine, and then the final uh, Villains of Go-Go final float with um, Maleficent, Jafar, Jafar and, and Evil Queen. Uh, again, the, parade, the, the, the the party also has the fireworks, the projection, which was introduced a number of years ago, really has added another layer. So while it has taken Disney, while it took them, you know, more than two and a half decades to sort of hop on the Halloween bandwagon, as it were. What we have now, specifically in the parks, um, is pretty spectacular. And, and and what I like is they give away top quality candy. You know, you, you, you know that they could go and get away with, you know, getting, getting the, the cheapest, you know, Tootsie Roll and Smarty Roll. And, all, and, and I love those candies. But boy, they go with the top of the line, and they also have alternatives. Um, 
you know, uh, for people uh, who are uh, allergic or, or don't want that, that sugar. And so, again, when, when Disney does something right, they really uh, do it right. And, and, boy, talking about uh, uh, sweet treats, there, there are some that just pop up at Halloween, you know, at, at those different food and beverage locations that are just, my gosh, those would put me in my grave if I if I if I if I had if I had uh, uh, all of them uh, there, and they're just so creative too. But yeah. but they're delicious. They're not just creative. Yeah, let's let, let's put a, a pumpkin face on this. They're not just creative. They're really delicious. Well, Walt would be proud because not only have they plussed the Halloween experience. And look, we didn't even talk about, you know, the, there's the Halloween soundtrack over at Space Mountain. There's the live actors at Pirates, the Mad Tea Party. Oh, and, 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 and Monsters, Monsters Incorporated Inc. now, right. too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's also merchandising. So there's an incredible array of <laughs> Halloween-themed merchandise and food. But it really has made... Walt Disney World, both for locals and visitors, Halloween time is now made at Magic Kingdom specifically has made the park and the resort a a vacation destination during this time of year. And I would feel remiss if I didn't mention it's not just confined to the parks. I think that Fort Wilderness, um, as long as we're talking about Halloween, I think that Halloween at the fort is absolutely a nighttime destination. Like if you can mm. go and rent a golf cart because there's so much that happens. And again, I'm talking outside the confines of the COVID-19 2020 world, but there are parades like guests go and they decorate their campsites in incredibly well themed, like, and I, and I'm not sure if they no longer allow it, but they would actually build these walk through like mini attractions and rooms and incredibly well decorated campsites and they would decorate their golf carts and have these you know they almost look like little floats created by guests and do these nighttime parades and those are just things done by and for other guests but they also have the return to sleepy hollow the headless horseman um i I don't know, again, going forward, but they used to have the um, uh, the uh, wagon, the, the carriage ride. And, Jim, a quick story. Well, well I, actually, actually, for several years, it was the haunted hayride. Right, that's minutes so... and, uh, Along the Bay Lake, and the climax was the encounter with the Headless Horseman. Right. And then it became the carriage ride in 2008, and then was completely discontinued in 2012, unfortunately. And I blame my children. Because years ago, <laughs> years ago, look, they again, were I, left, well, I, I booked a carriage ride and I got it on Halloween night. And I love to surprise my family. They hate when I surprise them, but I love. So I was like, OK, so we went out to dinner and then I surprised them. And I'm like and I was like I had this huge grin on my face. My children, I have this picture. I'm sitting across the, the row from them. They are buried their faces are buried in their mother's lap and she's looking at me like what did you do because it's in the, and it wasn't overtly scary but at one point i can say it now spoiler alert because it doesn't happen anymore as you're going through this darkened forest and you hear the clap clap and the rustling of the leaves 
the headless horseman comes right up next to your yes. your carriage and it freaked my kids. I'm grinning and I'm laughing ear to ear and my wife is looking at me like you are going to pay for their therapy bills because your children <laughs> are frightened. So, 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 so an, another reason for them to start texting uh, uh, child services, right? <laughs> child <laughs> protection services. It wasn't they, they scary, it but they were they, they have it now on speed dial, right? <laughs> so they have somebody uh, uh, designated there that goes, Oh no, it's the Mangello kids again. again. All right. Yeah, what did Lou do now? Um, but they also have, you know, they've had site decorating contests, you know, to decorate the campsites, pumpkin decorating contests, the cart parades, food trucks, trivia, a villain lip sync contest. They usually will do movies under the stars like Nightmare Before Christmas or Hocus Pocus. I don't know how I ever missed out on the frightening donut eating contest. I need to get mm. back to that next year. The candy corn toss contest, hollow wishes viewing party, mummy wrap contest. I mean, so they had a lot of different things to do. There's also a, a headless 5K run, a pet parade, lots of stuff going on at the fort, which when it comes back, I believe, hopefully in its same form next year, it, it almost makes the fort a destination, whether you want to rent a campsite or just rent a cabin and stay at the fort because there's so much to do there during the Halloween season. Now, now I know we're, we're getting close with time here. Now, I'd love for you to uh, explain to me uh, Halloween at the parks overseas because I have no uh, uh, knowledge or insight into that. And, and so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you talk about that while I look around this uh, empty bag of Halloween candy to see if a piece <laughs> or two rolled out and 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 ended up under some other place here. While you fascinate us with, with these stories and 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 bring all of this uh, uh, to a final wrap, so so what is Halloween like at at Disney parks overseas? So I am fortunate to to have been able to visit all the overseas parks except for Disneyland Paris. It was on my list this year. Again, it's 2020, but I, I'll start at Disneyland Paris where they began celebrating All Hallows' Eve in 1997 with the Soiree Halloween Disney, which is Disney's Halloween party. It evolved to the Disney Halloween Festival, which, according to them, is this mixture of of mischief and fun that uh, takes place from late September through early November. I have been to Tokyo Disneyland, which also began in 1997 celebrating Halloween with the Disney Happy Halloween there are parades with guests, lots of things for uh, kids under 12. And to be clear, all of, remember, Halloween is literally and frequently a very foreign concept, especially in the Asian parks. So it is celebrated quite differently. Um, so, for example, in Tokyo Disneyland, um, I think of all the parks I had been to, I think decoration-wise, they had the Beck's decoration the best decorations overall. They did have the Haunted Mansion holiday, so you could see what it would be like because their Haunted Mansion is basically a mirror of the Walt Disney World version. I will say that the the Japanese and specifically Tokyo Disneyland fans really go all out in celebrating all of their holidays, not just Halloween, but Christmas, but Easter, um, all of them really are made a, a very big deal. Uh, I, I think Tokyo probably has the best 
parade, some amazing stage shows. And again, all of these are included with the regular theme park admission. So everything that happens from the decorations. So, so it's, it, it, it's not a separate ticket. It is event. not a separate ticket event. So they have a, um, a festival of mystique, harbor show, food, merch. All of that takes place into this Disney Halloween season at Tokyo Disney Resort that's included. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Tokyo Disneyland proudly presents Disney's Halloween Parade. Now, when you go across the way to Tokyo Disney Sea, this is where it changes because while it still isn't scary, it is a little bit more adult oriented. So, for example, at the Waterfront Park stage in the American Waterfront, they have this show called the New York Halloween Follies, which is set in 1920s New York, wonderfully well produced a show with music and dance and, and fashions of the era. There is a Welcome Skeleton Friends show in uh, on Lido Isle, the Chippendale Skeleton Fiesta, which is this um, long cavalcade that goes from Port Discovery to Arabian Coast. What I loved seeing in Tokyo was not just the wide variety of entertainment offerings a huge selection of food offerings but the guests are very very much into celebrating and dressing up for halloween Uh, i i sort of get the sense that they are encouraged to dress up because there were times that i couldn't tell if they were wearing halloween costumes or were they just dressing as sailor moon because they like dressing that way all the time <laughs> but it's um it is very much embraced in tokyo now in hong kong it's incredibly different because hong kong halloween there also referred to as disney halloween time is while it yes is not a separate ticketed event It's very scary, like not just Disney scary. It's like scary, scary. So they do have a lot of fun things that go on. There's the Mickey and Friends costume party. There's a Mickey Halloween time cavalcade, a villains night out parade. But they also have this villains garden where you can go and and trick or treat. You know, you get a bag and you go trick or treat again. Mm -hmm. It's all included. But they also have these walk through attractions and these shows which are legit scary so they have something called the revenge of the headless horseman which um and and this graves academy walkthrough so the headless horseman is like this traveling circus sideshow where there's all of these um to use the, the circus carnival, you know, all these different sort of freaks are, are in there. And one thing, Jim, you can't, you won't see any photos because you're not allowed to take any pictures anywhere. Mm. Um, 
But Graves Academy is that this idea that this principal Graves at this school called the Graves Academy is recruiting students and turning them into all of these evil creatures that are trapped inside the room. So you go like from classroom to classroom and lunchrooms and there's all of these weird, very... The thing that was odd, and I still to this day have nightmares, is one of the the um, the walkthrough attractions. I think it was called. Uh, it's either the Nightmare Experiment or Journey into Halloween Town. They take characters from um, the, the, they're Disney characters like uh, Alice in Wonderland, Pinocchio, but they're very dark. They're very scary and. There are scenes where you're they're, sort of, they're, the, they're the Tim Burton versions, huh? They're worse than the Tim Burton <laughs> on, versions. On a bad day, huh? Like the Pinocchio still gives me nightmares. And then there's one scene where you're there's like you're walking down a street and there's like a barber shop and the characters come out and they take somebody from the audience and they put them in this chair. Like things that could never happen here in the States. Happened no, overseas, no. yeah. Um, Horrors of the Amazon is really interesting because it's a stage show featuring a character named Jonas Brisbane, and it's portrayed by a a popular um, Hong Kong actor who is a Jungle Cruise skipper who wants to join the SEA, the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. So I, I dig the fact that there's that connection there. But there's this wonderful 20-minute show inside the, the theater in the wild. Um, reminds me sort of like a, um, a Harrison Hightower type of character. Um, mm-hmm. Shanghai Disneyland also celebrates not just in the park. Uh, the first year... They only did it in their Disney Town, which is their version of Downtown Disney or, or Disney Springs. And now they go throughout the resort into the parks. They have a villain's cavalcade. They have a late night Halloween party and a new fireworks show. Um, they bring in also theming from uh, Coco, Nightmare Before Christmas uh, again as well. So the the overseas parks, especially the Asian parks, look at and celebrate celebrate Halloween in some very different, very unique, and in some respects, um, you know, kind of scare, not jump scares, but a little bit more intense than what you find here, certainly stateside. It, it sounds very intense, at least the way you're describing it there. It's also delicious, wow. by the way. The food is fantastic. <laughs> the food is fantastic. Um but yeah, there's um, and I know we've we've talked about um, on on when I've I've done the recap of our um, of our adventures by Disney to China and their adventures by Disney to Japan, where I talk about these in much more detail. Um, you can you can hear a little bit more about um, the parks and how they celebrate. I believe the Hong Kong show was show four forty, and I might I think I touch on. I think we touch on Shanghai and um, and Tokyo there as well. Uh, as long as we're talking about outside the parks too, Disney Cruise Line also has Halloween-themed specialty sailings with lots of... Um, it, it's not just a Halloween sort of day at sea like Marvel or Star Wars, but they actually have Halloween events and theming that goes on throughout. Mm. 
isn't isn't this amazing? You know, all, all of these things taking place at at the Disney parks, and they're not uh, uh, even uh, permanent. They're ju- they're just a seasonal uh, uh, condiment added to the main entree there. You know, ju- just a, and and I think that's one of the reasons that people love going to to Disney parks is is, is there is that extra magic that extra something you know that that you can enjoy and 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 i hope that uh listeners who of course this year aren't able to maybe celebrate halloween at, at a disney park where uh, you know can uh, celebrate with this podcast you know what else they can celebrate with jim they could also celebrate with the vault of walt volume nine halloween edition which has spooky oh, stories. Oh, so kind. Oh, of course. That's Listen, Disney films, yeah. theme parks, and things that go bump in the night. I dig that. Right, just, and, 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 and just like my regular uh, Vault of the Walt, uh, uh, Vault of Walt series, you know, it, it's divided into sections. So there's chapters devoted to animation, like there's a chapter devoted to Night on Bald Mountain, a chapter devoted to... The stories behind uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow and uh, Trick or Treat. There's stories about films like uh, Hocus Pocus and the Halloween Town Saga. You know, four films in that series. People tend to forget that. And Twitches, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, stories about the, the, uh, the parks. Uh, you know, a lot of times people forget that Twilight Zone Tower of Terror was struck by lightning on October uh, 31st, 1939, you know, so it's a Halloween attraction, whether people realize it or not. And and then there's uh, other chapters like on the Ben Cooper uh, uh, Halloween costumes and uh, all, all sorts of uh, things. Because the challenge that was given to me, because my, my Vault of Wolf book about Christmas uh, uh, did pretty well, and... Uh, uh, my publisher says, gee, do you think you could write one on Halloween? And I said, well, yeah, maybe. And, and he says, well, I, I guess you'd just write about the villains. And, and, and I know Disney has made some spooky films. And I said, no, if I'm going to write about Halloween, it's going to be just Halloween. And so it took over two years uh, uh, to write this book because, again, I, the stipulation was it's got to be Halloween, not just you know, maleficent. Not to, you know, it, it's got to be uh, something that is Halloween uh, related. And and in fact, I even cover um, uh, stories about ghosts at the Disney uh, theme parks. Not ju- not just the ones that you'll all your animatronic ones you'll find in the haunted mansion, but but I talk about uh, some guests and cast members who've seen the ghost of Walt Disney. Uh, and, and in fact, sometimes when they, they see him, they also ha- smell that uh, strong stench from uh, the French cigarettes he used to, <laughs> to smoke later in life and little puffs of smoke in the air, you know, where and sometimes Walt even talks to, to people. Um, so uh, if, if you want to celebrate a Disney Halloween, uh, you might want to go to Amazon.com and then one of my books that was due out earlier this year and then just got delayed until just now, uh, Hidden Treasures of the Disney Cruise Line, which is not a guidebook. It won't help you get, you know, a, a better uh, 
a discount or pick the best room or when to go sailing, whatever. It tells the story of the evolution and creation of the Disney Cruise Line, starting with Walt's original cruises and where he went and what his experiences were and the movie Bon Voyage and, and all that leading up to the creation. And then uh, the majority of the book goes through Disney storytelling on the ships. What is there that you're not uh, seeing, you know, or, or you're seeing and you're not understanding what it is. And so, uh, for instance, when you see that uh, gold filigree on the outside of the ship, you go, oh, well, that's kind of cute. Actually, it had only appeared before on one ocean liner. In 1927, the Stellar Polaris, and that ocean liner only had, could hold 165 guests because it was meant for millionaire class hmm. people. And so that's one of the reasons that Disney has that on the uh, outside of the ship there. And there's several chapters on Castaway Key, including uh, why there's no horseback riding on Castaway Key. They talked about it. They talked with uh, the uh, uh, folks at Tricircle D uh, Ranch to work out, you know, logistics and all that. And then finally, finally, there was just one decision that said, no, nope, we can have bike riding, but we cannot have horse riding. Hmm. And it was because what do you do with the horses when there's a disaster like the hurricane? How do you evacuate them? And there wasn't a good plan for that, so no horseback riding at Castaway Key. So those of you who listen to the Toulouse podcast, you are the uh, Disney experts for your friends and family. So if you want uh, some of those insights, make sure you get Vault of Wolf Volume 9, Halloween Edition, and uh, Hidden Treasures of uh, uh, the Disney Cruise Line. And uh, right now the paperback versions are available, but they're... They're brand new books, and so the Kindles will be coming uh, within this next week, for those of you who like Kindles. And um, you can make it a very Merry Christmas for little Jimmy Corcus. <laughs> and, Lou, thank you again so much for inviting me back on, and thank you for allowing me to promote my books. Oh, listen, it is my pleasure. And there's one thing I love, Jim, is you always have stories, literally, that you can't hear anywhere else whether you're listening to you on the podcast or reading your books, there are, are so many wonderful aha moments, uh, which is why I, I enjoy I, and appreciate I'm, you. I'm full of stories, and, and this time of year, I'm full of candy corn. <laughs> I only eat candy corn this time of year. No, no, just like peeps. You eat peeps at Easter. You don't eat peeps at Christmas. You don't eat peeps at Halloween. You eat peeps at Easter. You know, I, 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 this is my philosophy, and it has worked for me. Well, now I know exactly <laughs> what to give you for Christmas. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shop the day after Halloween, get all the candy corn, and I will give it to you for Christmas, so you can load up. <laughs> but listen, I want to know from you, our friend that has been sitting here with us talking about Halloween at the Disney parks. I want you to share some of your stories, either memories of spending Halloween at the parks. Would you love to see Nightmare Before Christmas come to Walt Disney World? And maybe what does the future hold? You know, right now, the Halloween holidays have evolved so much 
in the parks throughout both Magic Kingdom here at Walt Disney World as well as in Disneyland. But what does the future hold? You know, what would you like to see? Would you like to see something maybe coming from the overseas parks, these walkthrough attractions, something a little bit scarier, more villains? I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. You can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. Call in, let me know. Better yet, go to the, our group on Facebook. It is the WDW Radio Clubhouse. You can go to wdwradio.com slash community. We'll pose some of these questions there as well as your own. Share memories or photos of you in the Disney parks during Halloween. And certainly I'm going to ask you to share some of your Disney-inspired Halloween costumes as well and uh, Jimmy Corcus I will have you back of course my friend I look forward to seeing you and I sincerely appreciate you alright very quickly favorite Halloween and, and movie. happy Halloween to happy Halloween to the Mangello family happy Halloween to the uh, uh, listeners and may it be a Disney Halloween for you all favorite Halloween movie Disney or otherwise go uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow oh very nice very nice I'll have to put that question in the group too I dig the scary mm-hmm. I like the scary ones I like getting, getting scared around Halloween yeah well when when you read my book you'll see that there's so much behind Legend of Sleepy Hollow that we just take for granted that, that we, you know and, and you and you had people like uh, Blaine Gibson working on it and Yale Gracie and, and all the and, and in an animation uh, 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 standpoint, and it's like, really? All these people literally went on to create all these horrific things? This is, you know, where they're getting their first little taste of, of Halloween? We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. I got to go back to Hong Kong. I got to go do some writing. I need to go to Hong Kong. I'm telling you that headless okay. horseman thing. That's too scary for me. I, I'm, scary. I'm a scaredy cat. Pinocchio, Pinocchio was frightening. It'll give you nightmares. Time for our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or just see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see, hear, remember, or even taste. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, we were talking to Ron Schneider, the original Dream Finder from Journey into Imagination, and I asked you to tell me what television show inspired Imagineer Tony Baxter to give the little purple dragon the name Figment. First, thank you, congratulations to all of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew that the answer was Magnum P.I.? It's true, believe it or not. The idea for Figment and Dream Finder actually came from a concept that was never realized for an attraction known as Professor Marvel's House of Illusions that was going to be part of the Discovery Bay concept for Disneyland. We actually talked about that back on show 558, Unbuilt Disney Parks. And the general concept was going to be that the show was going to be hosted by some very eccentric mad scientist who bred dragons as one of his hobbies. Sounds somewhat familiar? It should. 
Because when Tony Baxter was refining this idea for what would eventually become Journey into Imagination, he didn't know exactly what to call this little, eventually, purple dragon, and he got his inspiration when he was watching an episode of Magnum P.I. Yes, the same show starring Tom Selleck that ran from about 1980 to 1988, and he explained, and I quote, I was watching Magnum P.I. on TV, and he was in the garden, and the butler Higgins had all these plants, and they were all uprooted, and it was a mess. Magnum had been hiding a goat out there, and the goat had eaten the plants. Higgins said, Magnum? Magnum, come out here. Look at this. Really bad impression, but you get the idea. Something has been eating all the plants in the garden. And Magnum says, oh, it's just a figment of your imagination. Higgins said, figments don't eat grass. And Tony said, there's the name, right? The word figment that in English means a sprightly little character, but nobody's ever really visualized it. Nobody ever drawn what a figment is. So here's this great word that already has great meaning to people, but nobody's ever actually seen what one looks like. So he had the name that was just waiting for us to design the shape for it. You can actually hear more about the genesis of Journey to Imagination and Dreamfinder and Figment from the people that worked on it, including one Tony Baxter. If you go back and listen to my interview with him on show 289 and again, show 372, you can also go back and listen to the interview with Steve Kirk, back on show 30, who was one of the principals in designing the attraction, as well as his brother and fellow Imagineer, Tim Kirk, on show 54. So it's episode 30, 54, 289, and 372. Anyway, I took all of the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, the prize package you are playing for include all of my digital products, which is my 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours, of the Magic Kingdom's history, details, secrets, and stories, all with me as your guide and the three-dimensional binaural audio behind us, which, by the way, you can still buy any of the guides and the book for just $10 by going to www.radio.com. And I'm also going to send the winner a brand new, beautiful, cobalt blue WW Radio mug. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is John Maloney. So, John, my friend, congratulations I have your shipping address because you use the online form. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So we're talking about Halloween, hollow wishes, candy. So, of course, the trivia question has to be Halloween-related. And now this week, I want you to simply tell me who narrated Happy Hollow Wishes in Walt Disney World. Now, when I say who narrated it, I don't mean the actual voiceover artist. I mean, what character narrated Happy Hollow Wishes in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom as part of their not-so-scary Halloween party? You have until Sunday, October 25th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com. Click on this week's podcast. Use the online form there. Again, you're going to play for all of the audio tours, the books, and a WW Radio mug. So good luck and have fun. Then booty you. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I sincerely appreciate it. I hope you had fun, learned something new, and that the show brought a little bit of happiness and positivity and Disney magic to your day and week. 
please don't forget to be part of the community and conversation by joining our Facebook group. It's the WW Radio Clubhouse. I'd love for you to come and be a member of our fun, friendly, very family-friendly drama-free community by going to www.radio.com slash community. There you also find out other ways that you can be part of the show and the WW Radio family by joining the running team, being part of the WW Radio Nation, and joining us live every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook for WW Radio Live. There we can talk about this week's show, my top five live, our Disney Plus pick of the week, your questions, calls, 20 questions contest, and lots more. Again, just go to www.radiolive.com every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Speaking of the community and the nation and the family, I want to thank some of the new and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation. I sincerely appreciate your love, support, friendship, and help, and I love being able to give back to you each and every month. I want to thank some of the new and longtime members like Janet Safier, Joseph Herbert, Michael Van Marowick, and Ann Hattersley. If you want to find out how you can not only help the show, but get exclusive rewards every month, including monthly scavenger hunts, trivia quests, we have a private Facebook group, magic band covers, logo gear, t-shirts, backpacks, care packages from Walt Disney World, as well as exclusive live video group calls and lots more. You can visit www.radio.com slash support. Again, it's completely optional. Starts at just a dollar a month, but it's not only a great way for you to help show your support for the show, but don't forget that a portion of the proceeds of your contributions do go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. And because this show is for, by, with, and about you, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a question you'd like me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. Or if you want to call the voicemail, be heard on the air with a question, a comment, a hello from the parks, or comment about this or a past show, you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. You can also connect with me on social line at Lou Mangello on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Facebook, and don't forget to like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Radio. As of right now, obviously, meet of the month, other in-person events are on hold. Fingers crossed that our Marvel Day at Sea cruise happens in January and we can get back to some of the other very fun, very special events we had planned in the parks, on Cruise Line, and a few other surprises that I just can't reveal as yet. Please stay tuned. Of course, none of those things can happen without my friend, our sponsor, Mouse Van Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. Whether you're going to a Disney destination or anywhere on the planet, the entire team at Mouse Van Travel will give you a free, no-obligation quote with the best possible prices, all available discounts, all at no cost to you. More importantly, they give you incredible service, which is their hallmark. That's why they've been the company that I use, the company that I trust, and the one that I recommend for more than 13 years. You can go to visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, and man, I can't wait to get back into the parks and do meets of the month. Handshakes and hugs are coming back, I promise. But if you like the show, and I hope that you do, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. It's the best way to grow the community. So tweet out that you're listening, share a link to this or your favorite episode on Facebook. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to you. We have more than 2,500 five-star reviews. We'd love to keep them coming. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Boo with lots of O's, 113, 
You know, the, says really great, good guests. I enjoy the varied amount of topics and guests, including regulars like Tim Foster. The top tens are some of my favorites. Britt Lynn says, actual, real, legit tears. To be honest, I came into this thinking, quote, I've been going to Disney forever. There can't be much I don't know, close quote. But leave it to Lou to prove me delightfully wrong. Week after week, I started listening to The One with Walt, and the rest is history. I'm now a member of the running team and a devoted weekly listener. Thank you, and thank you. As an army nurse stuck in Alaska for the time being, thank you, thank you, thank you for your service and sacrifice. I can't thank you enough for bringing joy and keeping me sane during these unprecedented times. Almost every episode brings tears to my eyes and beloved memories to my heart. And for that, I'm forever grateful. By far the best WDW podcast out there. For those planning their first trip, to those who thought they knew it all, thank you, Lou. Thank you, Britlin. If there's anything I can do for you while you're in the Army and stuck in Alaska, message me. Let me know. My family and I, again, appreciate your service. And LC Meyer EGM says it is the best podcast out there. I've been listening to Lou for over five years, and he is by far the best Disney podcast out there. His knowledge of all things Disney. Thank you, by the way. Love of food. Thank you. And most importantly, love of people and community are just a few of the things that make him the best. I'm so thankful that he continues to put out content, whether it's here or Facebook or social. It gives me my Disney fix while I'm over 10 hours away. Elsie Meyer, Britt Lynn, and Boo, 1138755309. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love and appreciate you. I could not do this without you. If you want to rate and review the show, just, again, search for it in Apple Podcasts or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes. It'll give you a link and instructions on how to do it. Finally, again, thank you so much. I know how valuable and precious your time is. I hope that this show continues to make your day, your week, your month, and you happier, maybe even inspire you to be a little bit better. If there's some way that I can help you by working with you, turn what you love into what you do, please visit lumangelo.com. Find out some of the ways we can work together and maybe I can help you turn your passion into your profession. And finally, and always, please go out there Don't just choose the good, but be the good. Go out and make a positive difference in this world. Do things that you, your children, those around you will will be proud of you for. And if there's ever anything I can do for you to say thank you for all that you do for me, please let me know. I love you. I appreciate you. I cannot wait to see you again here on the show or on Facebook Live this Wednesday. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou, this is Cody Havard from the Memphis area, and I just finished listening to the episode um, with Ron Schneider, uh, as well as watched it last Wednesday, and I just want to let you know that and let everybody know that his, his the book's awesome. The audio book is amazing, um, listening to him tell his own story, um, and I really enjoyed the episode, and I think you know that you two, you and Ron were the first two um, who agreed to come and do a virtual visit with the, the students in the being a fan of Disney class that I teach. Um, and so I greatly appreciate that. Um, and I have really fun memories of going to Epcot and seeing Dreamfinder and Figment, um, Figment being my favorite parts character. Um, and so seeing the two of you together was uh, really fun. And uh, thanks a lot for putting positivity and good out into the world. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Christine and Eric from Decatur, Georgia. We are sitting 
in your favorite spot, maybe in all the parks. Um, we're in the Japan Pavilion in Epcot eating some cold ramen noodles. And we have to thank you because we got a wild pair to go to Disney after listening to your show. We booked a trip super crazy last minute to alleviate some of our COVID blues. And after booking dozens and dozens of trips by ourselves, we called MEI Mask Fan Travel and they found us the most amazing deal. They were so lovely. Sue with the company was incredibly knowledgeable and sweet, made the whole thing super fun. And 72 hours later, we were driving down. So thank you so much for inspiring this little respite. Thank you for everything that you do for us and all the joy that you bring. We would not be sitting here enjoying our cold ramen noodles and toasting to you if it weren't for everything that you do for everybody every day. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you also to Mask Fan Travel and have an awesome week. Bye. Good morning, Lou Mantello. This is Darlene Maggie, formerly of West Seneca, New York. I am calling in to say thank you so very much for the wonderful interview you did with Ron Schneider, the Dream Finder. It was so exciting to listen to that show again, even though I was there live for the interview and the birthday of Magic Kingdom, my very first time. Um, it was something of a magical day for me to be able to be included in that. And I really appreciate you um, involving us with it. Thank you so very much again for all you do. And I'm really hoping that your cruise in January, which we're only a few months away, you know, the, the four months, uh, I'm hoping that this is, you know, we're on the cusp of maybe being able to start doing those cruises. It would be absolutely amazing. So I am hoping for the best for everyone. Stay safe, wear your mask, and love and hug. Mm-hmm. <laughs>